All righty. Welcome, everybody, to The Doctrines of Rad, episode 47. I am one of the hosts. I'm Drew. Uh, as per usual, uh, Logan, is, he may show up. I don't know. He may uh, He may decide to take a night off. Uh, he hasn't let me know. So, Logan, if you happen to be watching this, uh, to spite me for some reason, please uh, let me know if I, if I hurt your feelings. Um, <laughs> I'm joined with uh, a guy that I've actually been looking forward to talking to for a while. Um, and uh, we actually have a little bit of a connection uh, without even really uh, knowing each other. I've not met you in person, Chase, but uh, got uh, Pastor Chase Davis from The Well in Boulder, Colorado. Um, the connection that we have. Uh, so my pastor in Bremerton when I used to live there was uh, John Needham. And uh, apparently he told me he was a good friend of yours. I don't you know, I'm I'm uh, assuming that that is true. And <laughs> yeah, I was just texting and, with John right before we got on the air. That's funny. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. John is, uh, John is a, um, man, I tell you what, he is a guy that can preach like he is reading poetry. I don't know if that's a good way of describing it, but man, he is just so, he's so apt with his words. Um, he's, he's a preacher, man. He is a preacher. Um, and uh, I was very blessed to be uh, part of his church in uh, in Bremerton for three years. Uh, how do you guys know each other? You guys were do you, uh, went to the same school, or no? We were both in Acts twenty nine, and towards the end of it, you know, he uh, he left, and they published that letter on their website at Quorum Deo's website. Uh, very very masculine letter, very courageous letter, just kind of saying why they're leaving. And uh, so we'd been talking for a while. There's kind of an underground uh network of guys who oh nice are seeing the same thing so uh so yeah me and john have been talking and matt matt was the one um who's a pastor with me who who knew john first i think they were in the same gotcha. acts 29 cohort but i think when they met it was kind of like matt was saying some things and then john was like dude i didn't know there were other people like me and so oh, they, cool. they hit it off immediately so we're really grateful for john he's taking a really courageous stand up there in bremerton doing a, <laughs> doing a great work yeah, I'm. I'm sure he's probably shared with you a little bit, but uh, during COVID, they, uh, man, the the city was out to get those guys. They were they were sending infiltrators from the police force to uh, observe and watch the services. Uh, to I guess listen for dissension and uprising within the uh, within the the population of the church out there. I left. I retired from the Navy November 2019 and left. And came to Missouri to live here, and that was literally months before we had our first, you know, talk of of COVID. So that's um, crazy. Yeah, man, I missed I missed that, and I'm, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, I, I'm thankful because my transition from military to civilian life was hard enough. Uh, and then in addition to COVID being uh, a part of that, and if I had if I had to be up there in such a a blue state like Washington to go through COVID, I mean uh, would have been very, it was hard enough as it was, it would have been even more difficult, I think, and stressful. But, uh, that church, John's church, the elders there, um, they, they took a very firm stance. Um, I know, you know, like a lot of churches and I'd love to hear your perspective on that too, but like a lot of churches, uh, I think initially we, uh, were all a little bit kind of like going along with it. Cause you know, it, it was new and, you know, nobody was giving a lot of information about what was happening with COVID. And uh, so we were taking precautions, trying to trying to be peaceable, trying to to listen to the expert, you know, experts. I say that, you know, with quotations, of course. But um, what was your experience out there at the well? How was how did that go? 
Man, it was uh, it was really interesting, a really unique time in our church uh, for our elders, for our church body. You know, we were meeting in a middle school and, you know, we just in the middle of March of 2020 got the email saying we can't meet on Sunday. Mm. Um, we we're already trying to take precautions with communion. Back then we did like intinction, which I don't think we'll do again, but that's just what we did where you dip the bread and the wine. Mm. Or, yeah. Or yeah. The juice. Yep. And so that's obviously if, you know, if there's a, a contagious disease, that's something you don't necessarily want to be doing a lot of. So we were already kind of thinking ahead. But then the school kicked us out. And so at that point, mm. um, this is why I'm so grateful to be on a good team with with good staff members and good leaders, because like I when a crisis hits, I kind of go mental in my like, I want to figure out like what's right. I want to go to principles, like what should we be doing? Right. And in a crisis like that, sometimes you, you definitely need to stick to principles, but you also need to get things done. And because this was such a big deal, uh, our team, a couple of guys on our team just took the lead. Uh, got live stream up, uh, figured out a communication plan, how to how to get in touch with church members. So we were online for a little while, and then we met in a parking lot for a little while in the summer. And then thankfully, we uh, we started meeting again in the fall in a uh, restaurant bar that was open to us at the time. And so, uh, wow. So, so yeah, it was it was definitely a rattling time for our church. You know, I, we didn't have any. I don't think we had anybody come spy on us. There were other churches in town, in our county at least, who were taking the hits. So we have a local mega church that was taking the hit. You know, they had people every week. They were getting fined every week. And they have the wow. resources to kind of fight it. And so they were very undeterred. You know, um, the fines were pretty substantial. And they knew they wouldn't hold up in court. And so they were they were fine taking those fines. And they were still trying to accommodate people. It wasn't like they were just brazenly rebellious against the government or anything like that. Right. They were just saying, no, we're going to meet. Um, and I don't remember when that was, but that was somewhere somewhere in the last couple, couple first few years of the pandemic or whenever it was. And yeah. so, uh, so yeah, it was, it really rattled a bunch of people, you know, um, some people never came back. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it just once we started taking stands on teaching our church, the comprehensive nature of God's Christ's Lordship and the implications for how we live our lives and how we worship together and the importance of Sunday morning worship. I mean, that, that really shook me because I was coming out of a missional stream where a lot of the teaching was very, um, you know, thought Sunday morning worship was almost optional sometimes. In fact, in the literature, you'll see them say, if you have an opportunity to share the gospel on a Sunday morning or go to church, you should go share the gospel. And so interesting. That, that's something I actually taught. And I regret teaching that um, because it's just so out of step with Christian tradition in the Bible. And so we really started emphasizing the importance of Sunday morning worship because it just really like all of a sudden when something gets taken away from you that you just accept as normal and you kind of, uh, you know, don't appreciate it like you should, you really think about it in a different way. And so our yeah. elders, we got some new elders in there. We we got our church unified, went through a giving initiative in 2020, which sounds crazy, but that's where the Lord led us to, to really step out because at that time we were like, we got to find a place to meet. And uh, God showed up in a big way through the generosity of our church. Wow. And we were able to, able to purchase a church building in December 2011, or 20, 2011 2021. Yeah. And uh, we're still renovating that at this time. So uh, so it's taken a long time. Uh, we still are trying to cover costs to finish the remodel. It's a lot more expensive than we thought just because of all the aggressive environmental policies here in the town. Um, but we're trusting the Lord for provision in that and reaching out to anybody Um but yeah, I mean, like it was a it was a crazy time. That 2020 was just nuts. I mean, just so many things were happening. But particularly around COVID, I think I 
in the fall, I started writing publicly about it because I was just, I was done. I think I was done in May. I was like looking at the science, looking at the, the literature, seeing who was being canceled and then reading those people. And I was like, guys, I don't think, I don't think this is as big as everybody's making out to be, but I'm not going to shame church members who are scared. I'm going to encourage them to have hope in Christ. But then I started writing publicly and that caused a, a bit of a uh, ripple, you know, in our church. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden Chase is taking public stands on mask mandates and that kind of things and writing publicly about it. So, uh, so yeah, that was kind of our experience during that time. Did you see, uh, looking back now, do you see uh, fruit in growth with uh, the congregation because you, and, and do you think you can attribute that specifically to taking a stand? Yeah, I've seen a lot of fruit, a lot of growth. We've seen a lot of people uh, come to our church um, because, you know, they, they know that we're going to preach the mm. word faithfully. And I've seen a lot of people Amen. grow up in maturity and be built up in their faith. And so, you know, by God's grace and mercy, we saw many, many people uh, grow up in Christ and mature and really took discipleship and our our responsibility as elders to be more, be more um, thorough in our equipping of the body in terms of uh, what we teach from the Bible and where we're teaching it from. So we, we chose to go to Exodus, go to God's law, go to Judges, you know, just try to equip our people with a more comprehensive understanding of Christ's lordship. And that, that really does, it, it is, yeah, there's a lot of fruit that's been born, many weddings that we've performed and, and new members added and baptisms. And so I would not say that we're a, a big church by any means. Um, you know, for Boulder, we're, we're a good size, but any other part of the country, we're, we're like a normal size uh, church plant. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, even though we've been going for 12 years and we planted five other churches, God has really done an incredible thing here. And I'm just really glad to be part of it. But yeah, he's um, he's really grown up our church. And so I'm really happy for that. But, but yeah, the, you know, looking back at some of those stands or some of the articles or whatever it was, you know, it breaks my heart that some people would take those and either not come and talk to me and have a conversation or hear more of my heart. And that's, that's really where Matt was helpful and kind of reminded me like, Hey man, like you, you, it's fun to share your opinion online, but if people don't see you and know you, Sometimes people can uh, cannot feel like you're you're unapproachable or something like that. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And so I, I try to make myself available to as many people as I could, but you know, you, you you can't win everybody. And so some people chose to exit the church uh, during that season. But we had a lot of we were still seeing a lot of fruit from that. That's good. So give me tell me about the inception of the well. What was how did that get started? Uh, you guys said that you're you're you know you're doing well for. I think there is a, I heard that there is a pretty big mega church out there that's got like 20,000 something folks, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, it's called Flatirons Church. It's in yeah, that's right. Colorado and Boulder, yeah, yeah. Boulder County. So um, yeah, they're, typically if people don't uh, hang out at the well, you know, the, the rumor that we've heard from campus ministries, because we have this University of Colorado here and it's like 30,000 students. And so we'll go teach a campus ministry sometimes. And the the chatter amongst them is, you know, Flatirons is where you go if you want to like get into Christianity, go explore church, and the well is where you go if you really want to go deep into theology and deep in your faith. Hey, praise and God, I'm, man! That's I'm awesome. like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I definitely don't see Flatirons as like a competition or an enemy. We're, right. we're kind of playing two different games, but we're both proclaiming the gospel. And so, uh, so yeah, they're out here. Um, but yeah, we started 12 years ago. Matt was pastoring in Gunnison, Colorado. Um, I moved up there with my wife. I was working in construction and I met him, went to his no church. Kidding. Where were you, were you in Colorado or were you somewhere else? No, we graduated, Kim and I graduated from Texas A&M in 2009. And so 
at that time in the housing market and my degree was in construction management and I wanted to go do housing. I wanted to learn how to build houses ultimately to get to the mission field so I could go um, kind of do tent making ministry overseas. Hmm. But the housing market in Texas, I couldn't even get, you know, a job anywhere in the housing market. That was one of the hardest hit markets. And then Kim's degree was in recreation, park and tourism sciences. So like tourism. So tourism and housing in the recession, you know, just not happening. And so we're like, well, we've got a place to live up in Colorado. It's my granddad's kind of summer cabin. Um, and it's it was really run down back in the day, but my parents have done a good job sprucing it up. But we lived there, moved up there two weeks after we graduated. And I was going to go check out a bunch of churches. I'd only grown up in Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches. And I was like, what would, it, what would an Anglican church be like? What would Methodist, mm. you know? And I went to Matt's church the first Sunday and I was like, never mind. This guy's got an awesome beard and, he, awesome. you know, brews beer in his garage. I, I think I like hanging out with him. And so I just stuck it out there and he kind of took me under his wing. And uh, kind of put me in a in the elder room. Let me sit in on elder meetings. Let me teach some. Let me lead some Bible studies. And so, at that point, he was ready to leave Gunnison. He wanted to plant a church, and I didn't know anything about that. But he had been following Mark Driscoll. I'd kind of mm. been in the orbit of Matt Chandler down in Texas. And so, uh, you know, Acts twenty nine was a natural place to uh, to talk to to talk with those people. And there were some people that were helping us figure out where we, where we wanted to plant. So we planted it. In Boulder, mainly because, like, actually, when we talked with Acts 29, they were like, well, we've got an Acts 29 church in Fort Collins. We've got one in Denver. If you want to do a college-age town and go plant a church in a college-age town, your, your options would be, like, Colorado Springs and Boulder. And, like, we were like, well, Boulder, like, that's where, you know, it's, it's things are happening. Uh, it's kind of a got an artsy vibe. Um, and so, it turns out a lot of people want to plant in Boulder. Um, mm. We didn't. We didn't know that. And so, uh, so yeah, that's how we kind of landed on Boulder. I had only been here one time. I went up, I came up and visited and my wife and I prayed and we we're like, we see no reason why we shouldn't. And, you know, there wasn't some kind of cross in the sky or anything like that. Right. It's just like a sense that like, there's a huge opportunity here. There's a lot of lost people here. So why not try something for the Lord? We're still young. Um, and so we did that when we were 24. Uh, I think Matt was 26. He went to a residency down in Little Rock, Arkansas, Fellowship Associates. Uh, for about wow. nine months and then he moved up but we started in my apartment and then moved into matt's apartment and there were already some people on the ground doing work as well um so yeah that's kind of how we got off the ground did you uh were you at this point or at what point did you really feel called like uh because it's how you, you know, started doing construction and so were you at that were you kind of doing construction to wait till something ministry fell into your lap or or yeah how's that how was that yeah. So when I was in construction, I knew I felt called to be in ministry in some sense. Um, and when I was like 15, my first name is actually Joshua. If you find me on Twitter and it's J Chase Davis, it's Joshua mm. Chase Davis. And so growing up, I just would read the book of Joshua because I had my name in it. But when I was about 15, I was reading the book of Joshua in that first chapter. Um, I really just sensed the Lord impressing upon me that he was inviting me to explore ministry and leading his people in some capacity. It's a fairly broad calling. Um, and you know, any Christian could kind of say that, but it just, I really sense the Holy Spirit impressed that upon me. So all I did is just started volunteering for things at my Christian high school, leading worship, Bible study, that kind of thing. And so even when I was in construction in Gunnison, I was sharing the gospel with everybody on the job site, inviting them to church. We had one guy come, um, I was kind of known as the evangelist on the job site. So I didn't get yeah. invited to the after hours parties and that kind of thing <laughs> uh, that yep. a lot of the guys in the industry were doing. And so I was always looking. I knew I wanted to go to seminary. I knew I wanted to be in ministry. One of my mentors had told me that you shouldn't go straight 
into seminary than ministry because you're going to lose out on an opportunity to be able to relate to people who just mm. work a normal job. And so that I, I knew that when we moved to Gunnison, I didn't want to go straight into ministry. So that's part of the reason I chose a degree that was more practical um, and I could make a living off of. But all the while, I still wanted to go into ministry. So, uh, so yeah. That's great. And so you've been doing it uh, with the well for 12 years now. That's right. Yeah, that's that's great. And how many church plants do you guys have? We're sending out our fifth this year. So when I wow. say five, we're including the well boulder, but we've planted the well boulder. Uh, we've planted three others in Boulder County, and we're about to plant our first one out of Boulder County up in up in the Vail Valley area. Um, not not exactly in Vail. It's pretty expensive there, but and mm. I think it's near Edwards and Gypsum and all that up there. So that'll be he's up there on the ground already. He's working construction while he plants a church. And so wow. he, he's a great guy. We're really excited for him to go out and plant. So when you, when you get into the planting, obviously that's probably, is that, is it safe to assume that that's what attracted you initially to Acts 29 was the church planting aspect of it? Yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't know much about, uh, I'm going to call it an industry. And I know that's a, more of a secular term, but it is kind of an industry where you've got conferences and networks and these mm. kind of things. I didn't know the options out there. I just knew Acts 29 was kind of like, what especially Matt had a connection to. And then I just knew of the people in the network. And I was like, well, they seem to match up with who we are and who we want to be. So that's how we got connected with them. Gotcha. So when you guys decide to do church planning, is that, do you, uh, do you wait till the local congregation reaches a certain capacity and then send out, or do, are you just always looking for opportunities to plant? That's a great question. Yeah. Early on, um, it was a, it wasn't foolish, but might've been. So like we did, we reached a certain capacity where we're like 250 people on a Sunday and we're like, Hey, we should look at planting a church. So we brought in a church planner. Um, we started a residency that, um, we could put him through and then we sent him out with like 30 people and some money. And that was the only reason I call that foolish is because like that giving money and people away, uh, was a higher cost than I knew it at the time. I was just kind of trying to, we were trying to be generous and like, you know, uh, honestly, like actually I was constantly pressuring, not pressuring in necessarily a bad way, but encouraging and challenging. Hey, we're a church planning yeah. network. You also plan churches. And we are like, okay, fine, we'll do it. And so we did it. And then all of a sudden our budget is like very <laughs> malnourished because uh, mm. we sent out these families with their giving as, as well as funds with this church planner. And we did that the first couple and we were like, we got to figure out a different strategy. So the different strategy was uh, the last church planter. Uh, church plant for the well Longmont was a, it's not the well church and uh, they're different congregations, but he just took all of our branding and that kind of thing. But we have a, this thing called the collaborative where my heart, when we planted was like, dude, there's a lot of work that goes into this that nobody knows about, you know, filing documents with the government, payroll, administrative work, yeah, all uh, management of, of people, uh, meetings, all that kind of stuff. And I'd never been in ministry before. And so I was like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. And this is a lot. What if we started something where a church planner could come in and do what he does best, preach and teach the gospel, uh, go reach people in his local context, make disciples. And we could take uh, all that backend stuff, the administrative, like building a website and all that. We could just do that for him in-house. Sure. And so when you, when you do it that way, if you're local, you, yeah, anybody in Longmont that was at the Well Boulder, you can definitely, I mean, like go with them but you're going to get access to all of our resources because now we can with multiple congregations in a, in a collaborative type network, 
you can capitalize on better buying power for like Adobe, for example, for graphic design and other things like that. And so it, it's a good system, we think. Um, you know, we'll see when God wants to renovate it and reform it. But for now, it seems yeah. to be a very durable, uh, healthy system and a high degree of trust with with that church planner. So that's kind of how we got into it. That's that's really interesting. I was just talking with my pastor today. Uh, we were we were trying to meet together about weekly because, uh, as I was telling you, he's he's been the first guy that's that's mentored me uh, in ministry. And you know, I I I was called. I knew that I was called into ministry twenty two years ago when I right around the time that I got saved. I was in the Navy. I was a very young guy, and I you know it was very it's a very radical uh, transformation because I was not interested in in God. I was interested in in booze and women and traveling the world and and seeing you know things from a military perspective. And um, you know, had this. Uh, it was actually <laughs> it was I was reading the Left Behind series. And, um, I was, uh, I heard the gospel in it, man. I, I, it was very, there was a very clear presentation that Jesus Christ saves. And, uh, I was, it just, I was laying in my rack and I don't know if you've ever been on a Navy ship, but they're little tiny, uh, little beds, you know, they're stacked three high. You get, you get maybe about this much space between your face and the ceiling of your rack. So I'm, you know, kind of laying there like this and I have my book and, and I'm just, spending time reading it. First of all, didn't even know it was a Christian book series when I first bought it. I just thought it was a cool, I, I bought the third book. It was called Assassin. So I thought it was like <laughs> something about like, you know, I was thinking of Antonio Banderas or something, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, uh, heard the gospel and, uh, I just knew I was like, this, this is real. There's something more true about this than I've ever known about anything in my life. Um, and it was hard because I didn't want, I, I made fun of the Christians. I was the guy that, you know, joked and laughed about them. So, uh, you know, ended up going to see my, see a guy on a ship that I knew was leading a Bible study, gave my life to the Lord, surrendered to him. Uh, and uh, it was probably within three or so months after that instance that the Lord was just made very clear, like, you will, you will do this, you know, you're going to, you're going to serve me, you know, it was, it was just a very clear, like, okay, Lord. And I want to do that because I hadn't no other direction in my life. And that was the first time I felt uh, compelled to, to do anything of, of important, uh, of importance. And so um, I, uh, I, uh, I don't remember where I was going with this for some reason. I'm, I'm, uh, oh yeah, pastor. So we were, um, What's interesting, though, is my pastor, which so you actually know my pastor's son, which is a very interesting uh, connection as well, because he lives out there in Boulder. But um, he, my pastor was in the Navy in the 70s and had an almost identical conversion experience. Now, the Left Behind series wasn't out back then, but sure. uh, he had a very identical conversion experience and ended up leading the Bible study on his ship. Uh, very similar to how I ended up leading uh, the one on on mine, but this calling was uh, it was just a very um, anyway. It it just it was one of those things that I'm finally at this place now with my with my pastor that we uh, that I have a guy that is spending time uh, mentoring me. Um, he gives me opportunities to preach. He talks to me about the administration and how the church works. Uh, and it has really been, it, it, it been 20 years in the, in the works. Cause I moved around every three years. I didn't have opportunity to plant, 
uh, roots and 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 get settled anywhere. Even with uh, with John Needham in Bremerton, you know, it was. I remember going to him and talking to him about ministry, and it's like you could tell the guys that wanted to do that sort of mentorship work, but we're in a Navy town. They know that people come and go. Like, yeah. I don't know if you guys, do you guys have like military bases around you, like Air Force or anything like that? No, no, not in, not in Boulder. And in, in Colorado, there are a lot. So Colorado Springs are a lot, but in Boulder, yeah. the big thing is college students and, and PhD students, a lot of master's students, and they'll come in eager to learn about ministry. Happy to teach them, but it's kind of the same thing where it's like, you know, I, I'm not asking for you to make a commitment that you can't make. Right. And, you know, you got to be wise about who you invest in and how much time. And we're always happy yeah. to send people out. And, you know, that's not it's not a negative cynical take. It's more just reality. You know, people are moving yeah. in, moving out. Yeah. And that was hard for me, I think, uh, because I I took it as a slight, you know, like, um, why wouldn't you know, like, why wouldn't you want to teach me? And so then I would get I remember just feeling you know frustrated even at the Lord being like, Lord, why would you call me? into ministry and then have this, uh, you know, have me wait basically. And now looking back, it's like, you know, I'm in my forties now. So it's, it's, uh, I can see why the Lord sat me down. I can see why he kept me from jumping in, you know, getting puffed up, you know, causing damage to the body. Cause I think a lot of young people that aren't ready, uh, can cause some, some pretty severe damage. So how do you, as a pastor, um, how do you identify young men, uh, to come up in that discipleship mentorship process in preparation for ministry? Well, yeah. So we actually had a good conversation this summer about it because we had three guys interested in ministry. One's already moved away. And so it's a, it's one of those things where like, we're happy to provide, we have provide internships, we have discipleship programs. Um, we're happy as pastors to take on discipleship things, relationships with men in our church. A lot of it is through our eldership process. And so, you know, we've got seven elders right now. Um, and so particularly with the church planning, um, most of our church planners have, um, well, two of them were local. The other two were non-local, meaning out of state. Mm -hmm. And so they just found our residency page, moved up here and, um, either found work like our fifth church planner, or they were already ready to go, like just mm -hmm. move here. They were blessed by their church and sent up here. And so, um, so yeah, it's more just like sensing who the Lord is bringing to us. And helping them discern, you know, is this a good fit for you here? Here are the opportunities we have. That doesn't mean we have the best. That doesn't mean we're the only option. But here's what we might be able to do. Do you want to take advantage of it? And and for a lot of guys, it's just like, you know, I might move in a year. And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. We're just happy to have you. And anytime you want to meet yeah. and get lunch, just let me know. Yeah. So how do you um, how do you cautiously vet some of these guys when it comes to, you know, because I would imagine that you probably have had some experiences with folks that are just very clearly not called, uh, but maybe feel that they are. Have you, I mean, have you had that happen before? And wh what is that like? Yeah. So we've had, it depends on what we're talking about because, you know, calling is such a, a lot of Christians are so subjective about it, meaning it's so personal mm. to them and they had an experience and they feel called. And to dispute that is almost like attacking their Christian identity. Oh, wow. Our sense of calling is more broad and more discerning before the Lord together. Um, one, are you called into ministry? Two, is this the right place for you to, for, do, for you to do ministry? I mean, we're big b believers in the priesthood of all believers. And so um, everyone is called into ministry in some form or fashion with the gifts they have. But a lot of like the church plant residency, 
the first quarter of it is working with that planter on discerning, like, who are you? Why are you planting a church? I mean, this is a, a question that doesn't come up often for church planters because every church planter that I've met, and this is good, by the way, you ask them why they want to plant a church. And it's like, well, I want to reach people for Jesus and I want to glorify God and really good Bible answers. But for <laughs> a lot of the, for a lot of the reasons we do things, there's something cooking in the kitchen that we don't know about. Um, mm. there's, there's reasons we want to do things. There's reasons, you know, you can kind of think of it like, um, like the food truck industry. I've kind of worked, uh, with some businesses in that industry and the, a food truck owner typically starts a food truck because either he doesn't like the current restaurant industry, he doesn't want to be tied down or he doesn't listen to people and he wants to do his own thing, have his own shop and kind of a quick way to do it, easier way to do it than a full blown restaurant is do a food truck. Well, that creates, there's a certain personality <laughs> and a certain set of skills that that takes. And it leads leads people to maybe not work well with others or listen mm. to others. And so same thing with church planning, like why, why are mm. you the guy to do it? And why do you feel like, you know, you, you should do a church plant because a lot of times church plants, like if you think of it this way, the reason people are attracted to church plants because they're dissatisfied with what currently is. Wow. They think a new expression of the gospel in ecclesiology in a certain context is better than others. That's not a, necessarily a knock on the other churches in town, but like they're driven because they're dissatisfied. Mm. And so if you as a church planner don't realize that you're going to attract a lot of people who are currently dissatisfied with everything else. And then three wow. years in those people, guess what they're going to continue to do if they're not mature, they're going to be dissatisfied with you because now you're part of kind of the establishment. You're part of, you know, the man or whatever it is. Wow. And, the same thing drives church planners a lot of times. They want to plant a church oftentimes because of either a father wound or family issues, or they're, they're not getting the opportunity they think they deserve, or they want respect, or there's something else driving them. And for a lot of men, they just don't, nobody's ever asked them. They've never had a place to sit and, and you know, kind of go before the Lord and ask those questions. Um, yeah. and, and it doesn't always have to be bad. You know, sometimes it's like, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to get the respect of my dad and I never had it. Yeah, well, that's helpful to know. You know, when you're planting a church, um, that, yeah. that kind of drives some of the way you preach, lead, and minister to others. And so that's the first part of our discerning the calling is getting into their own story, getting into their own values, see what makes them tick, see if, you know, see if we can kind of get under their skin a little bit, not not in a cruel way, but just to kind of see how do they react under stress. Um, yeah, when the church, pressure's on, for sure. Yeah, because church planning is really stressful. And so um, you have a lot of heartbreak in church planning with a lot of people that leave. Any pastor knows this, but particularly in church planning, you just have a lot of people that come and go, check you out, and you're more you're typically more excited. You know, anytime someone new shows up, um, and it can be just really hard. And so we just want to test the church planner during that first season to discern is church planning the right calling, and then if not, maybe general ministry calling. Why do you feel called to ministry? Who's right. looked? Who's looked at? Who's looked and kind of taken notice and said we're going to give you an opportunity here and given you feedback. And you've taken that feedback well, you know, and not just like, been like, oh, you don't know. And so those are some of the things we do when we discern if people are being called into ministry. Yeah, that's really good. And th those those are definitely perspectives that uh, I think the average person who doesn't really deal with this on a regular basis wouldn't consider. And, and even, you know, hearing the other person's side, if they're the ones that are burnt and they're stepping away from that sort of thing, like you wouldn't know that that wasn't, you know, really the case or the full, the full story. You know, there's always the truth meets in the middle somewhere anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really fascinating, man. So um, a little bit more about you, you do a, uh, 
you do a podcast as well. Is it a weekly podcast? Yeah, I try to do it weekly. I try I take some seasons off, um, but it is weekly right now. Yeah, and it's foolproof. Foolproof theology. F U L L proof theology. So a lot of fun guests on there. I view it as my own little like team. Yeah. I'm trying to just interview people that hey, you had an article, you had a book, you know, let's yeah. talk about that. Um, it's funny. A lot of the listeners want to hear more from just me. You know, kind of like 30 minute like chase talking and that's that's a bit harder um those are some of my actually most popular popular episodes and i'm like you know i try to give my best to the church and if i'm spending like you know two hours of prep a week preparing a talk for my podcast that feels like i'm taking away whereas like if i'm spending just you know some emails hey you wrote a book i read it we should talk um that's more manageable so it's it's a really fun time and we talk a lot about all sorts of issues, political issues, cultural issues, theological issues. So uh, it's been a, it's been a really wild ride. So it's more for, you know, kind of like, what is, what's the Christian community talking about? What are some of the, the, the topics, you know, like what's, like what's trending on Twitter right now? What are people arguing about and fighting about sort of stuff? Yeah, Yeah. it can be that. But I think for me, like my heart behind it was always like, what do, what, what interests me? You know, and obviously you're going to be impacted by Twitter. There's no way around it. If you're on it, it's going to impact kind of how you view the world. But the reason I started in 2020 is I was having conversations with professors and other people about COVID, BLM, all this stuff. And I'm like, these, I think I would like to share these with people. And so what if I started a podcast and I just share these conversations that I'm having offline? I did them for the benefit of the people in my church or other people. And if nobody listens, that's fine. At least I've got an archive where I can go back and listen Oh yeah, this guy said this about this issue, and now I kind of have that on my bookshelf to reference. Yeah, and it turns out other people are very interested in that, which is very cool to see. Um, yeah, but it, my interest pretty much drives the content. It's less about clicks or anything like that. It's been cool to see subscribers and people comment sure. and people sign up. Um, but like this month, I'm doing, you know, a lot about masculinity. There's a lot of books about masculinity recently, and so I just want to get the different perspectives, hear from the different people mainly from one perspective, meaning like want to build up men. So any, any literature from a Christian author that's focused on helping men, equipping men, going back to the roots of the Bible, what does the Bible teach about marriage, man and woman, and that kind of thing, man, I, I want to talk about that. So that's, that's a big focus this month. But I'm also talking with like James Wood about this guy named Hodemaker or Hudemaker who had a big disagreement with Kuiper and he wrote an article, um, James did, and had font as journal. And so I read that and I was like, dude, this is great. We need to talk about Kuiper mm. and who to make her. And so, um, so yeah, just mainly like, honestly, it's just like, it's kind of so selfish, but just it, get to be, yeah. Like you just nerd out a little bit on, I mean, that's honestly, dude, that's kind of how that's the same reason that I do this is, uh, it's an opportunity to, to talk to interesting people that I find, uh, you know, fascinating or, or that have, have struck some sort of a interest in me, uh, you know, and when I, you know, when I came across your stuff, it wasn't your podcast. It really was uh, the initial Acts 29 conversation, uh, because for for me, after I had left um, Coram Deo in Bremerton, I knew that they had that tie to Acts 29 at the time when we first started going there. So uh, I was like, well, I'm going to look for an Acts 29 church wh- wherever I go. Right. Um, and that's that at least I know that theologically they, you know, are going to be, you know, kind of on the same page as me and not knowing any of the drama, of course, at the time. Um, and it's interesting because the, the church that we ended up coming out to here was an Acts 29. I think they still may be an Acts 29 church. Um, they've changed the names now. I don't know what their name is. We don't go there, but, uh, 
it was it was the avenue at first okay and then um then they merged with another church called redeemer which i believe was an acts 29 church as well um but you know just straight up you know like i didn't agree with the way that they handled COVID. i think that that was uh my wife and i just coming moving out here uh we weren't really sure we hadn't really picked a home church yet I, I that sounds superficial but you know we, we try to be careful with where we go we want to find the place that we can fit in and where we can serve where we can uh grow and and set set up roots set down roots and so um we started going to this place and then you know i we had disagreements with with covid and and that's for them that's for the their pastor to decide but it wasn't for us and and um but then realizing you know seeing what quorum had said about acts 29 uh i was like oh what's going on there and then so i watched a few of your interviews and boy i don't remember which ones i've watched two or three uh where you've discussed uh what happened so could for the lay person uh, because and i don't want to beat a dead horse on this you you know if people want to hear chase davis's thoughts on acts 29 there are resources out there like this is sure. not doesn't need to be the the show but uh for the lay person what what was just kind of the general uh you know what drew, what drew you into acts 29 and then what has drawn you out of acts 29 yeah so what drew us in was there i mean it, you can look at it at two levels on kind of a theological level um there they were at the time kind of on the forefront of a lot of the missiological talks about how we reach people and they were also doing it with a theological backbone and so you know you had mark Driscoll interviewing rc sproul and you had you know they're starting retrain up in seattle and so it seemed to be where a lot of action was just on yeah. like a, Hey, this is, seems like a good church planning network. It seems like we're aligned with them. So that was on the more surface level. I think under the surface for a lot of the guys in the network, you know, they're looking for, I know we were, we were looking for like kind of, it sounds stupid, but like validation. Cause when you plant a church, it's really kind of, it can be scary. I mean, it's just like starting anything else in life, but particularly a church, you want to sense that like you've kind of got a, a seal of approval in a sense. Okay. And I know that's for the lay person that may not land, but like in ministry, even you at your church, you're looking for an older man to kind of go like, Hey, yeah, yeah, you've got it. Or we're going to vet you. Absolutely. And so that's, that's what originally attracted us to it. And then just over the years, a lot of the woke narratives surrounding race and BLM kept popping up. And then 2020, it just was like a, a match was lit and things just exploded yeah. um, quite literally in some cities. And so we started just asking a lot of questions and revisiting a lot of the stuff that we had been taught. Um, we started just asking about, Hey, like, what do we think about critical race theory? And like a lot of the talks on the network, you know, videos, it sounds like we're just, you know, slamming people who voted a certain way. Um, we're talking about, you know, the 1619 project, we're talking about narratives. And so we just kept asking questions and we never got clear answers. It was kind mm -hmm. of demurred. It was like, no, you don't know. You don't know. And I'm like, I think I know. I think I'm, you know, I've been to seminary twice, got a couple of degrees. I'm not the smartest guy around. Um, that's why I have my podcast, interview people smarter than me on stuff. But like, I, I I have two eyes and I can see what's happening. And I guess over time, their trust of us really diminished, unbeknownst to us. They didn't tell us this. And then they kicked us out of the network in January of this year. Wow. That's crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, it was out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, ever since then, we let our church know, because that can be kind of fragile information, you know, that, that's not necessarily something you go brag about if you're a pastor. Hey, we got kicked out. And, you know, if right. you're in the business world, you don't brag about, hey, I got fired, you know, uh, um, unless you just want to be canceled, I guess. But um, 
but it wasn't a badge of honor necessarily. I guess now it is, uh, particularly with the direction the network is going. They're still promoting a lot of nonsense out there about, you know, the sexual revolution and you know, different identities and, and sexuality and that kind of thing. And so it's really tragic what's happened. There's a lot of good pastors still in the network, but COVID was a big deal too. I mean, Matt was, Matt was kind of uh, talking on, on a lot of the online kind of back channels. A lot of these networks, a lot of these groups have kind of online platforms where you can talk behind the scenes to other pastors. And so Matt kept saying stuff like, and he was joking, but he was serious. He was just trying to be transparent because we felt alone in Boulder a lot of times. And he was like, yeah. guys, if I have to wear a mask again, I might go to jail because I'm not going to do it. And boy, you would have thought he just shot a dog. You know, like wow. it was just like crazy, the reaction he got. Yeah. And so there was a huge disconnect between a lot of the pastors in the network and basic worldview issues. You know, how we deal with the government, what is worship, Sunday worship for, um, all these kind of things. And who are you listening to? And what media sources are you taking cues from? And wow. are, you, are you listening to Christianity Today and Russell Moore still or uh, or all that kind of stuff? So it was it was just a lot going on. But that's kind of the short story. I think yeah. I made that short. Um, no, that's great. I, what do you think? I mean, we, we see stuff like that with uh, like the Gospel Coalition, you know, and, and some of their wokeness. Uh, what obviously the answer is sin and pride, which is the real reason. But. What what do you think some of the underlying like what drives that uh, for those big organizations to do to is it is it people pleasing do you think or is is it is it just spiritually deeper than that? Yeah, it's a it's a complicated question. A lot of it's speculative. You know, you can't know the we can barely right. know our own hearts and why we do what we do, right. and so right. we have to be careful when we speculate. But I think there's good evidence to to kind of put forward that there they're enamored with the respect of the world. They're just enamored with the respect of the world. They want the world to look at them and think Christians aren't stupid. And so all of a sudden when they have people amongst them or people affiliated with them that are saying things that the world is going to look at them and go, you stupid Christians, you know, they're going to want to get away from that. And so I, I really think it comes down to that. I mean, most of their articles uh, seem to be written in that direction, particularly Christianity Today. Yeah. Is how can we disassociate ourselves with evangelicals that are dirty and deplorable? And how can we show that we're good boys and, and we're not going to cause a ruckus and we're going to kind of go along and just try to live at peace with everybody? Um, and so I, I think that's kind of what drives a lot of it. You know, for for men, particularly in leadership, they're driven to find respect and yeah. accomplishment and achievement and particularly in ministry that's really dangerous because if you've built an institution and you've attracted a lot of other kind of people of notoriety to that institution and you all get respect from the institution's respect then you're going to have kind of this tribal echo chamber mentality where we've got to protect the brand we've got to protect the institution um and i don't even know if they're doing that consciously it's just like mm. it literally is in the, de the makeup that God wired men to achieve, do great things, and men value respect highly. And so, you know, I don't, it, it, it's easy to go and like, well, that's super sinful and super nefarious. And I think it is in some ways, but it's also natural. I mean, it's a good warning to me, you yeah. know, and any, anybody in ministry is like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that when I'm 50. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be so tribal and, um, and not be able to listen to younger people or not be able to listen to people who, uh, who are my way, but I, I really do think they're, they're so enamored with the left and pleasing the left that that just kind of drives how, what they're going to write on and how they're going to write it. Yeah. 
Well, so uh, you, you're familiar with the the neutral world. That I think Aaron Aaron Wren was the kind of the the idea of this. And we had Andrew Isker on, uh, gosh, three four weeks ago. Uh, had him on to talk about his um, Boniface Option book, and we talked a little bit about the neutral world. How how much do, uh, do you think? Uh, I mean, obviously you agree with it. So how do you see? the idea of there's no more neutrality in Christianity playing out, especially as a pastor in a church where, you know, pretty liberal, I, I think Boulder's pretty liberal, right? I mean, I'm not yeah. from there. So, yeah. yeah so really where, where do you like, where do you have to find yourself taking the hard stances towards the culture? Because I think because of the neutral world, the old neutral world where, you, TGC, those guys thrived because, you know, there wasn't a lot of hatred really towards Christianity. It was really just kind of, yeah, whatever, be Christian, do your thing, whatever, just don't hurt anybody. And and now it's kind of like we've gone really to a place where being a Christian, being a pastor, going to church, like it does, it's starting to come with a cost. And I think it's going to continue to kind of increase. So what are some of your thoughts in that neutral world or, you know, considering the neutral world versus where you have to stand now? Yeah. So, I mean, basic biblical doctrines like, you know, on men and women, you know, this is marriage. Um, this is going to be a, a big issue that we're going to equip our church on. I think what happens oftentimes for a lot of pastors in liberal context is they don't want to offend anyone because that person may not come back to church and especially their congregants, they've been taught that the most important thing is evangelism. And so if my pastor says something that my neighbor doesn't like, then I guess it's not a good church. You know, that's kind of their, their bellwether for them. Mm. It's like, if my neighbor wouldn't like this message and I can't invite them to church because I don't know if pastor chase or pastor Matt is going to say something that upsets them, <laughs> right, right. then I might lose a friend or lose my, the respect of my neighbor or lose it. They would put it positively, lose a gospel opportunity. Right. And so I think what I realized in 2020 was how alone I felt and I'm in ministry. I mean, I like, you know, like I have, I had a network. I still have a lot of good friends, um, but I'm fairly protected from like DEI stuff in workplaces. I'm fairly insulated from like COVID mandates. Um, and yet I thought about the people in my church. I was like, I wonder what they feel when they go to work every day. And it's yeah. like shoved in their face. And I'm like, if I'm not willing to speak plainly about these matters and teach people biblically on these matters, then they're not going to have any courage. If there's mm. no sense of responsibility I have as a shepherd to, to lead the sheep and to protect the sheep and to speak from the pulpit clearly on worldview matters, then like they're never going to feel that, one, their church has their back, or two, courageous enough to stand up for the truth of Christ in the workplace or anywhere else for that matter. And so that was really the heart behind it was like, I want to give Christians the ability to stand strong in their faith. And so the the way we decide is very much driven by like, okay, what's going on in our city? What do our, what do our people need to know about that? Um, you know, we're not getting into the nitty gritty of like tax law um, yet, right. <laughs> but you know, right. that's an important thing to think about. Um, but we're getting like high level stuff. Like when our city hall flies a transgender flag above city hall. You know, and and that's that was always funny in Acts 29, because I would bring it up with these guys who, you know, they're mad at the Confederate flag or wherever it is. I don't know where it is. Maybe it's in Missouri, but they're mad at probably, it. Probably. Right? Probably. And, <laughs> and they, they go, well, that's that's bad. And I'm like, OK, cool. Trans flag above City Hall. Bad. Mm. And they're like, well, you know, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like 
bad. Like we yeah. can all agree bad. And why aren't we acting with the same enthusiasm and vigor for justice, you yeah. know, about that matter that we are that matter. And you're not even in that context of Missouri. You're in Washington or Hawaii or wherever it is. Right. And so like, it's just an, a radical inconsistency. So we just try to equip our church on, on biblical worldview matters. You know, we used to teach uh, an article by Tim Keller called the missional church. And I used to teach it positively. Now I teach it as a foil. And so it's more like, here's what we don't want to do. Here's where he's true in some ways. So it's not completely trash, but you know, here's where he's wrong. He preaches kind of like a neutral world. It's not a neutral world. If you believe marriage is between a man and a woman, abortion is a sin, you know, all the uh, men can't become women. Guess what the world thinks of you? You are conservative, you know, and then you have to go and guess what? Most of the conservatives in America aren't conservative enough. They're not, right. they're not really pushing it biblically. And so that's kind of how our, our elders address it is like a sermon series. What are we teaching through? Uh, equipping classes like theology on tap or men's advance or these other things we offer uh, kind of alternative teaching uh, places where people can learn and be equipped. And so we just try to really just, uh, you know, build up the church. That's my heart is to build up Christians to stand strong in the faith and to last because I've seen so many Christians, you know, cower. Gay marriage was a great example. Gay mirage is that, yep. you know, we had a lot of Christians that uh, were under the illusion that that was totally fine. And that yeah. was kind of back then that was kind of like my first, wait a second, what's going on? You know, it kind of tipped the hand. And so uh, that's kind of how we discern like how to equip people. Cause we're not out here. I mean, people are going to call us culture warriors and that's fine. And we're going to speak plainly on matters. So if you want to call me a culture warrior, don't care. But you know, like we're not out here to do culture warring primarily. Um, we're out here to equip the church, which is a form of culture warring. <laughs> we believe the church is the center of it's it, culture should flow downstream from the church. And so we want to shape culture. We want the, but we have to get right worship, right doctrine, right teaching in this, in the pews in the seats in the Christians lives so they can have families that are strong and raise their children in the Lord. So that's, that's kind of the driving factor in our uh, discernment. That's great. And I think you bring up a really good point. A lot of people don't think about is, is a lot of these pastors and folks that are working in, you know, ministry or ministry focused jobs, um, they're not confronted with a lot of the garbage that people that are working in regular industries and secular industries are, are confronted with on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I do wonder, and I, I think maybe you've made the argument for it, is that uh, that's maybe one of the reasons that these pastors aren't so willing to confront these issues because they're not affected by them. You know, they get to go home. They don't, you know, People are coming to to these to you for refuge and for truth and for for building up and edification, and uh, and so you're just there to you know if if you're not having to face those questions or or being forced to um, bow down to the things the the ideologies that are being presented. So yeah, I mean, I guess that really does make sense. We we as as leaders in the church need to uh, not only know what's going on in the in the the secular sector, uh, but speak very plainly against it in order to equip our flock to go uh, and and have the 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 core the courage and the the intestinal fortitude to to stand up and say no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call that clearly a man a woman or a they I'm I'm just not gonna do it uh, 
Right. Um, and I've had enough of that. And, uh, you know, fire me and then I'll take it up with the law or something. You know, yeah, it's just sure. like we, we and we have so many like, I don't know, it's just it's tough because I think a lot of us Christians were really grown up to be taught to like we have to be extra respectful. We have to turn the other cheek. There's there's so many things about um, kind of being pushovers. And I think that that's wrong. I, I don't think that that was a good teaching. I think that we've missed the the opportunity. And so now we're playing catch up. Uh, and these last three, four years have really been for a lot of, a lot of us wake up calls like, Oh, we, we, we dropped the ball on this one. We, we have not done what we were supposed to be doing. Absolutely. And it builds trust when you're able to do that. I mean, if you're a pastor and you can't say I dropped the ball, you know, on, on clear issues, like, right. you know, I try to be very transparent about these things because that helps people understand where you're coming from. But for a lot of pastors, you're just unwilling to say, you know, they just want to move on. They want to go back to normal world and the normal world isn't coming back. Um, yeah. and, and if you're in a blue town, you know this, but my warning to anybody, in, even in a red town, you know, a lot of my, we had people leave our church that moved to a red state and, and God bless them. I don't fault them for that, but you're not, you know, a, you're not against the fight by flight, Joel, Joel Webb no, type. Of. <laughs> no, <laughs> I had him on the podcast. We had a good discussion about yeah. it. Um, but my attitude has always been, it's coming for you too. Like these people are insatiable. They can't reproduce. Right. And they want to make disciples. They're evangelists and they're determined they have to make disciples. It's like you have to, they will literally cancel you, um, threatening your life by taking your job if you don't adhere to their rules. They're conquistadors for their leftist oh, ideology. Yeah. And they're not going to let you good. just settle in Texas and have a little farm and be left alone. You will have to bow the knee either through your taxes through the schools or through whatever, whatever it may be, or you won't be able to operate in public. That's their vision is everyone will adhere to their doctrine. And so I'm like, well, I'm on the front lines. So what a yeah. better place to be, you know, like that's right. where I, I always want to be on the mission field. Like they wanted to send me to Pakistan and, and thank God my wife started crying when that happened because <laughs> she did not want to go to Pakistan. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I'd go to Pakistan. Like if that's where God wants me, right. Why would I not do what God wants? Right. Um, we, we always talk about martyrs and we always talk about the heroes of our faith who went overseas and, you know, went to went to different lands and died for the faith. And I'm like, dude, yeah. that's what inspired me to get in, in a lot of ways into ministry. And so I'm happy yeah. to be here. And like God's really building up our church in really profound ways. And so. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's wild. You know, it's wild. But there's a lot of people who don't get that we're not going back to neutral world or normal world. And, you know, it's hard to wake them up from that. Um, yeah. You know, we need to declare the lordship of Christ over all of life. And that has massive implications for, for education, for politics, for culture, for everything. Right. And if we're, if we're not declaring that and then and then pushing it out to the margins of the paper and showing how it's comprehensive, then we're doing a disservice to the church. And we need to equip the church to be more robust in its comprehensive proclamation of the gospel. Yeah, that's good, man. So uh, with the last few minutes that we have here with the show, uh, what are some... Does, does Chase Davis have any controversial takes, biblical controversial takes? Do you hold anything that's, uh, that most people would be like, oh, that's weird, or I want to know more, or I want to I hear what you got? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. Um, the, the most controversial take I have is I believe in credo-baptism, which in, in, okay. a lot of, in a lot of circles I run in is very controversial. Um, yep. I always call that the my, my uh, Achilles heel, um, but I, I've always been credo-baptist. I yeah. don't see myself changing. 
Um, no, I don't. I, I've been exploring post mill. I've been exploring theonomy. Uh, I, I haven't, you know, uh, labeled myself you either. Settled of those. yet? Yeah. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, theological positions, I'm pretty much like, well, what did Christians believe 150 years ago? I'd yeah. like to believe that too. And so if I find an area that's incongruent, I mean, this is why I talked with Webin about head coverings is like, look, like if that's what we need to do, then that's what we need to do. And so honestly, I try not to have very many controversial <laughs> theological takes just because I want to be traditional. I want to be Christian. I want to go back to the confessions and teach those. And yeah, um, I'm uninterested in theological innovation, even though I've written a book that's, uh, you know, kind of innovative in, in its approach to discipleship, but I really try not to be. And so, um, yeah, I guess uh, one of my, the, the, the controversial one would be this, and I teach this sometimes, is that making disciples is actually more comprehensive than just equipping Christians. You can actually make disciples and begin to make disciples of non-Christians because you're already equipped, like you want to invite them to church. You want to invite them to Bible study. Why? You want to right. already be exposing them to the things of God. Yeah. And so you can call it pre-discipleship. You can call it whatever you want. Mm. But when I talk about making disciples and equipping our church to think that way, we're talking about anyone we reach, we want to make disciples. Anyone that you know of, we want to make disciples. And conversion will come. Regeneration will come. But we want to have an attitude where we're already incorporating them in Christian culture, in the things of God. Yeah. And so that's a little, little untraditional in terms of our modern discourse on how we think about discipleship. Well, that sounds like theonomy. I mean, that sounds like sure. Christian nationalism, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the kind of the idea is, is making disciples of all nations, uh, teaching them to be obedient to Christ. Um, you know, you start somewhere and, uh, and, you know, and my, my take on it is, and I would absolutely call myself a Christian nationalist. I don't have any problem doing that, but I'm also very much willing to say, that if that's not the way that God wants to do it, then that's fine. Like it, it doesn't, you know, I'm going to just, I'm going to try to to reach as many people for Jesus as I can. And, uh, and I think in that the natural progression would be that you, you begin to get magistrates that, that, uh, that proclaim Jesus and, and uphold his standards and statutes. And, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have an issue with the theonomy thing. I, I, I know a lot of people take it like it's like the worst thing that you could possibly talk about, but yeah. it really is just kind of like, you mean you're, you're telling me that you don't think that we should Christianize the world? Like we're not talking about like what the, the, the neutral world is already, or the negative world's already doing to us and trying to, like you said, they're the conquistadors of their mission. Yep. They're coming in and demanding, you know, uh, believe or die sort of thing. Yep. Uh, and so why wouldn't we, think that well maybe maybe we should actually be doing that like <laughs> right. not not in the same way you know with grace and love and mercy of course but but really just saying like look man i mean because evangelism is telling people like if, if you don't repent and you don't trust in christ you are going to die and go to hell right like that's the worst possible you i mean take my life sure whatever but like you're going to go to hell for eternity that's that should be a scary threatening thing it and is a scary people, it thing. Yeah, no, yeah. it's not. And yeah, I mean, like the question that rattled me out of it in 2020 was, do I want the world to be more Christian? Do I want the world to be more Christian? It's as simple as that. Because if you want the world to be more Christian, then you will work towards that end and trust the Lord to produce the fruit towards that end. And ultimately the world will be more Christian when Jesus comes back. So what business do Absolutely. we have planting churches, doing ministry, evangelizing, if our vision is not to make the world 
more Christian. That's what we, that's what all Christians should want. (laughs) That's like in our prayer, the Lord's prayer, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, I don't, it's crazy, man. Seems very, very clear to me that, uh, you know, if you're not, uh, yeah, if, if you are against that idea, then there's no reason to plant churches. There's no reason to preach the gospel. Uh, let the world fall, you know, fall by the wayside and completely just go bankrupt. And then, then what, you know, so I, right. uh, yeah, that's so, so, okay. So let me ask you this then. Um, what, have you listened to any of the haunted cosmos podcasts? Yeah, I've listened to every single one. <laughs> so as a pastor and a teacher, how do do you, do you feel like they make a, do, do you think that we as Christians do not really consider the spiritual world as much as we should? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's been something I've been guilty of as a Christian. You yeah. Know, um, much my own shame. Um, but yeah, what were you going to ask about the haunted cosmos? Well, I just was kind of like leading up to that because, you know, there's a lot of, well, I guess, are there any takes that you're just like, no, that's way too far. Like there's no possible way or or do you kind of agree with most of it? Yeah, so with Honey Cosmos in particular, I really appreciate it because they do speculate. They and they they're willing to say they're speculating. So yeah. I've listened to other ones um, where it's less clear that they're speculating, and they're speaking with authority. Like mm. this definitely happened, and I don't sense the guys on Honey Cosmos are doing that. My, uh, it's funny. My kids every time we get in the car, they're like, "Is there a new one? Is there a new one?" Because they listen to every single That's episode awesome. with me. Um, yeah. So so they love it. Um, but no, I, you know, I just enjoy hearing them talk about it. I didn't get into this like 2016 maybe is when one of our staff members was like UFOs. And I was like, yeah, that's crazy. And then I like, she started sharing stuff with us and I was like, oh no, like this is, you know, I'm feeling (laughs) conspiratorial. And so, uh, so no, I think it's fun, but I think, I think it helps. It's helpful. And I'm going to teach, we're actually doing a theology on tap in November or December on UFOs, aliens, and demons and angels um because i think christians today are really hungry for uh kind of like re-enchanting the world in a biblical framework and understanding spiritual realms principalities and that kind of thing and but i'm always going to do so as a theologian and as a pastor with a with with a certain measuredness about it um you know if i had a podcast like them i'd probably have as much fun as them they have a lot of fun and i i love seeing them have so much fun on it but if i'm teaching the church on it it's going to be much more you know, here's what we can know. Here's what we can't know. Here's what God has revealed. But I think a lot of places in scripture we've avoided and neglected yeah. to our own detriment. You know, if we don't talk about angels and demons, if we don't think about the powers that are at work and the like the the demonic movements we see today with people yeah. mutilating bodies and sacrificing children. I mean, these these are demonic movements. And so I think Christians are more interested than ever in talking about these matters. Yeah, I totally agree. I for uh for me, it was Dr. Michael Heiser's book, uh, The Unseen Realm, that pushed me off the cliff, man. Like, yeah. just, odd. I mean, because not only because, I mean, I, I, he does come with a sense of authority, but I think what's good and beneficial about him is he he's a Hebrew scholar. He spent his whole life trying to get himself into a first century Jewish mindset. And so once he was able to get there, then reading the scriptures from that mindset just opened it. It seems like it just unlocked so many things that were very rich about um, just, I mean, I, I just, it makes God so much bigger and it makes him so much more like, it makes me feel small, but in a good way, 
where it's it's humbling because we're so often reminded like earth we so often think well the world just kind of the universe revolves around us because we are the center of our own universe uh but when you start to realize like god created more than just human beings and it's all for his glory and so that he's he has a story even bigger than our story that exists out there that one day we will get to know we will get to understand and see but i think we can tap into some of that you know on earth and obviously there's dangers you don't want to go too far into it you know I, I used to be in a church as a young christian where everything was blamed on the devil literally you for know, sure the sound you, issue the sound uh sound gear is malfunctioning it must be yeah demons. It's demons, right? Yeah, yeah, the lights go out at service because the power, the transformer blew. But you know, it's it's Satan himself or something. So yeah, um, yeah, there's some danger in that. But I, I really do think, you know, in the, I kind of hope, and I don't know if this is just a weird hope, but I, I kind of hope that the next awakening that we experience as, uh, as the body of Christ is in the realm of the supernatural, within, in truth, of course, but. Uh, in maybe getting a broader view or understanding of God's bigger picture. And because um, I think that when we start, when you can see things through a supernatural lens, um, it kind of helps you to, uh, I don't know, it, it makes me re rectify, like I can, I can see the draw of sin being different. And it almost when you know that Christ has truly defeated these principalities and he has taken the keys to the kingdom and all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. It's like, and I'm adopted in and I'm a co-heir with him. It's like, whoa, dude, like that there's, there's a lot of, of, of strength and courage to be had there. And I, and that's what I want to tap into in order to stand um, in the face of these, you know, demonic attacks in the world today. Absolutely, man. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Chase, uh, let me uh, go ahead and let you plug uh, your podcast again and uh, any anywhere else people can find you. You said you've written a book, uh, so I'd like you to obviously talk about that too, and then we'll uh, close out. That's great, man. Yeah, so my podcast is Foolproof Theology. It's F-U-L-L, Proof Theology. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. It's also on YouTube. It's video format, so you can go over there. I've got some great uh, guests coming on this month to talk about masculinity. My book is called Trinitarian Formation, A Theology of Discipleship in Light of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a mouthful, um, and the book is short but dense. I describe it like a cliff bar. It is uh, dense, Oh, yeah. You know, and sometimes <laughs> hard to chew. You know, oh, my uh, gosh. I think Kim's granddad said that, uh, my wife's granddad said that he had to read it with a dictionary open. But oh, I basically lay out kind of my philosophy of discipleship and evangelism and that kind of thing um, from John Frame's perspective. So Trinitarian Formation, you can pick it up on Amazon or really anywhere books are sold. So you can find it there. Awesome, man. Well, again, Pastor Chase Davis from The Well in Boulder, Colorado, I appreciate you so much uh, for coming on and uh, and entertaining me and, and the few that have watched and, and will watch in the future. Uh, God bless you, brother. And uh, stick around for a few after this. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and close it out. So thanks, guys, for joining episode 47 of the Doctrines of Rad. By the way, if you've noticed this hat that I've been wearing, this is from Reformed Sage. Uh, they are a, a Christian uh, swag company that makes all kinds of cool gear like these hats. It says the Solus Christus, our Sola Christus hat. Uh, there's also all the other Solas that are out there uh, that they make gear for. And they've been involved in many of the conferences like G3. So check those guys out. A good friend of mine, Nick, is the owner there. 
Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys in the next couple of weeks for episode 48. So we are out.